I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. So welcome to Pushback Talks. We are we are back again. We and are. It is, and it's, it's. I mean, people tell us that to make a podcast every week is like crazy. Do you feel that we are crazy? Not at all. We no? should make two two a week. Mm, yeah, <laughs> let's let's do two a week. Oh, let's maybe let's try to do this one first, shall we? Yeah, let's just yeah, let's get this yeah. one over with. So there is something you tell. We need to do a podcast about evictions because it's like a global wave of evictions around the world right now. It's 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 crazy. Yeah, totally crazy. And I guess this is something that that in your work as the global director of the shift you're you're meeting this a lot people contact you uh, all the time and it's it's in fact i have to say i'm finding it overwhelming it's like every day more and more statistics crazy numbers of people being evicted and it's not one country or another country it is everywhere so i saw cnn had a story i will be on many places the other week you know 40 million Americans are one month away from evictions. 40 million Americans. It's kind of, uh, it's extreme. It's ex an extreme time in history. It's also almost 40 million Americans living in poverty. So it's, it's, uh, you, those numbers, uh, they, they, they fit quite well. Yeah. And at the same time, last month, Mark Zuckerberg, wealth went up 59%. Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, his wealth went up with only 39%. So it's like, and then, of course, 50 million Americans filed for, for uh, unemployment insurance and so on. So it's, in America, it's like, it's crazy, but not only in America. Yeah. But also, I mean, this, this figure of 40 million Americans, we can compare that to what happened after the global financial crisis and how many people lost their homes, 10 million. So we're looking at four times the number of people facing eviction. I mean, it, that's just incredible. And I'm not hearing the same amount of stress from the landlords and the private equity firms and the financial actors who own these homes that they want to evict people out of. And so what is that? No, it's right. there is a lot to understand it because I mean the film Push, where which I made a documentary film, and you are the main character. We we really look into these issues. The new landlord is suddenly a private equity fund based somewhere, and in your home is a part of a big financial game. Yeah. And and the thing is now that's why I re read these numbers about uh, Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos, is that. The financial markets are doing fine. You know, there was a mm. little, they went down for a while. Now they're up yeah. and they're doing better business than ever. At the same time, there's a lot of people living under an extreme stress right now. Yeah. And this Absolutely. is, I mean, and I, I saw here uh, in, in Argentina, one million people, households could be affected. Uh, now they have a moratorium for, for evictions, but it's only in place until September. So that can also happen in Argentina. In Brazil, there's a lot of forced evictions going on right now. Uh, since the beginning, in, you know, in Mexico, 
61% of the renters say they, they can't pay the rent. 61% of the renters can't pay the rent. Huge. In Spain, I mean, evictions, I mean, Spain is one of the countries in Europe worst hit by the COVID, but also by the financial crisis in 2008. And, and this private equity fund called Blackstone is the biggest landlord in Spain. Mm-hmm. And, and they last year they evicted 54,000 people. 2018, 60,000 people. You know, the eviction is a, a very strong movement in Spain. I think they also have some kind of moratorium in Spain on evictions right now. That's uh, right. But it's, but it's also- a very narrow moratorium, so it's not, uh, it's not helping people who can't show that they are directly unable to pay their rent because of COVID. That's, mm. the, that's the moratorium, so it's very, very, very narrow. Okay. India, I think I read a statistic 11, over 11 million people are threatened with eviction right now. Yeah. I mean, it's massive. And also in, in a country like my own, Sweden, there is a lot of stress amongst renters to if they can pay the rent. Mm-hmm. There are some moratoriums, there are landlords saying we're not going to be so tough at this time, but people are in stress anyway. And there's, of mm. course, a lot of self-eviction. That's right. At this That's time, right. people people move because they're afraid to get their name into the dirt and then yeah. never being able to to rent again. Yeah. Anyway, Lani, I'm, this is like this is upsetting, mm-hmm. but you are a human rights lawyer <laughs> and you are one a global expert on this. So you should actually tell us why this is, is so extra upsetting. Mm. And I know you made you made a little note to me when we talked the other day, mm-hmm. because housing is a human right and eviction is a violation of that. That's but right. then you said there's another violation of human rights, torture. Yeah. So, well, I mean, one of the things that is good about right now is there is a lot of media attention around evictions i'm finding i mean evictions have been with us for a very long time it's it's not a new phenomenon but uh, there is this new emphasis in the media which is good but if you think about eviction as a violation of human rights and eviction into homelessness as a violation of human rights and you think of all the numbers we've just put out there millions and millions and millions of people being evicted, that's a huge number of human rights violations. And I don't find the anger and the rage equal to the proportion of people suffering this major human rights violation. If I said to you, Frederick, if you and I were having the same conversation and we were saying 11 million people in India are threatened with torture. If we said uh, in Canada, 25% of the population is threatened with torture. 40 million Americans are one month away from torture. From torture, exactly. Wouldn't there be this huge, incredible outrage? And wouldn't people be tearing out their hair, trying to figure out, what do we do about this? How do we stop this? How do we protect these people? Instead, what we get is a few media stories. Okay, in the New York Times, great. But I don't see governments rushing in to address this very, very scary phenomenon. And we can talk about what eviction means to people. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but okay. We were filming together in Korea. Yeah. And and we were out seeing a lot of 
horrible things going on. Mm-hmm. And then you made a press conference to, towards the, the Korean press. And I think you were, you're really sharp in those notes. So, <laughs> so let's listen to that from Push to Film. Sure. National and city governments in South Korea need to make some major shifts before they will be in full compliance with their human rights obligations. You know, human rights law is very specific about those types of projects. Uh, First of all, forced eviction under international human rights is considered a gross violation of human rights. People die in forced evictions and people's lives are basically ruined. So it's not to be taken lightly. No, it's not to be taken lightly. So, but, but tell me, this is this is your expertise uh, evictions and it's i mean and historically it's been very much uh, people are evicted in the name of development that's what Absolutely. you know we, yeah. what we see a yeah. lot of around the world yeah big hydroelectric dam projects for example um, the removal of indigenous peoples from their lands so that um, resources can be extracted and and all of that. And uh, I mean, I visited so many people around the world who have been evicted. And uh, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking and uh, life shattering. Um, often the 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 pre eviction period where people sort of know that there's going to be eviction leads to all sorts of anxiety. It can lead to suicide. I mean, really deep emotional uh, trauma and stress. And then the actual eviction is incredibly traumatic. People again, experience it as a high stress thing. Uh, Women in particular who are often, you know, the emotional center of a family, they're just trying to hold the family together. And then in the aftermath of eviction, I mean, it's economic ruin. These are often people with very little, right? So if you take the little thing that they have from them, they are left with nothing. So it's starting again. It's living in homelessness on the streets. It's living in shelters. It's it's creating a new informal settlement in the global south only to know that you might be evicted again because you're on someone else's land. I mean, it's it's devastating. You've seen that in recently uh, you were in Nigeria for your for on a mission for the UN. How was that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's one um, particular community that I visited that really sticks in my mind. It was a community that had been evicted about three times. When I visited them, they had finally uh, found their location literally two feet from a railway line. And behind them were these huge shipping containers that were at risk of falling on top of them. I visited one woman who had a disabled child. She was living, Frederick, honestly, she was living like on two by four planks that she had put across a water, an area that had been flooded. And she had like a sheet over these planks. I mean, it was not even, I couldn't even call it a home. I mean, devastation. And they were being, they were at risk of a, a fourth eviction. And she has a child with a disability. I mean, yeah, but should you really fight for them to stay in a situation like that? It sounds also yeah. sounds horrible. It's complicated, isn't it? I mean, people need a place to live. So what do you do? Of course, no, you don't want them to live in dangerous places. But you were also in Egypt where people got evicted. You were that was like a very complicated situation for you. That was last year you were there, mm. wasn't in Cairo. 
horrible. Uh, an area, I mean, I myself was detained in the area because I was trying to investigate the evictions and the pending evictions. It was a very vibrant area that was being, um, well, probably financialized and gentrified. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the folks who were fighting those evictions suffered uh, at the hands of the state. Uh, one of them actually had to flee the country and is now in the United States uh, for fear of being tortured um, and imprisoned uh, just for fighting an eviction, fighting for people to be able to stay in their homes. Mm. So, yeah, and just just not far away from from Egypt is Ethiopia, where we, our company, I executive produced a, a film called The Donkey's Fear No Hyenas by the director Joachim Demmer, and he's... It's, it's very much a film about land grabbing where this big agro business is coming in and and they're there I mean in this time it, they, it was like a big in the national park in Gambela but people also mm -hmm. live inside the national park but so they were doing a huge rice plantation in the middle of the park and and they kicked people out yeah, yeah. I, I saw dead donkeys people should really listeners you should watch dead donkeys it's very moving the testimony from the peoples that is is very moving it's it's on the, on the wgfilm.com website where you can you can watch all our films um but the thing is that these people were, were they, they left for south sudan so they were sitting in a refugee camp from you know mm. and in the name of this agro business and you know Blackstone. We talked about Blackstone in housing. Blackstones are also big in in agro business, and all these kind of big hedge funds. They're big in everything, you know, where they can make money. But 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 it, a lot of the effect of their investments is mm. quite often that people have to leave their homes and leave their countries. And that yeah. film is it's a very touching. Uh, uh, visualization of that so so, mm. ch so check it out um and then other things in the name of development because ethiopia is something they, they development is like the name all the time yes but you know the the olympics in korea for example in, in 1988 hey you were there I, weren't you there i i was there I, I was doing stories before the olympics i thought i was already in 87 that tells right something about how old I am. Well, I was like five <laughs> years old, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I was doing stories in in um, areas where people were going to be evicted. And it was a fierce fight, a fierce fight. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is very common, this, you know, me that we call the mega events and evictions. Mm. And mm. of course, in the in the Olympics in Brazil, there were mm. huge evictions and huge protests, of course. But yeah. uh, it happens with all the major soccer matches and uh, or football matches, etc. I mean, it's it's the championship. You're right. Yeah. Like people, they kick people out. Even in London, there was a big. They have to. They moved a lot of people around when they built yeah. for the Olympics. In Korea, we we were out together at a at the mm. place where we met a wonderful man, who was one of the few people staying in this place. Let's listen to this. He, he will speak in Korean, but I will. You were just to revisit this for. Yeah, this is absolutely. also from from Push. 이게 340 가구 정도가 됐었거든요. 340 가구니까 여기는 2008, 2008년에 이제 용역이 들어오기 시작했고요. 이제 회사에서 고용, 건설 회사에서 고용한 용역, 용역과 더불어 이제 같이 뒤를 봐주는 경찰. 
it's a touching story. And so it, this guy tells us that there were 340 houses. It was actually a very a little hilly thing in the middle of town. And, and it was like well-made houses, but people have self-built them. But it was really cozy with small gardens. Mm -hmm. And it was like really a place I would like to live almost, you know. Yeah. It was, but, it, but then he told us that thugs came in. And they started to, to, to destroy the houses in front of people, also when people were inside. So his own wife got kicked in the stomach and fainted. And when he starts to cry here in an interview, it was like when we shot this, remember Leilani, oh, okay. our translator, yeah. in, the mid, in the middle of this uh, translation, she started to cry because then she said, the translator, uh, that she, would, she had also been evicted as a child. And it triggered this memory for her and uh no the trauma is unbelievable i that that scene if people haven't seen the film is uh actually a very i mean it's incredibly moving it's also such a visual moment in the film because this fellow who's telling his story is standing in the midst of the rubble of this desert now deserted evicted place where he is maintaining a residence and behind him you see these very typically Asian big block towers, almost like they're walking toward his land, you know, like about to just take it, take it over. And uh, and then just the the raw emotion that he has, you know, almost, I guess, to almost 10 years afterward, right? Because it happened in 08. And when we were filming, it would have been in 18, approximately. So, uh, or 17. So, you know, but still such emotion, because it is such a, a traumatic, um, traumatic event. He, he also told us that he had been to prison for a few years, because he attended another rally for another eviction site. And then they, they got him in. And and this is the story that comes out also now from the U.S., where there is a lot of ongoing defense fighting to, to defend people, and also from Spain, that the defenders of these human rights of, of a home are quite often in prison. In Spain, it's been extreme also. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I think... So that's um, also a global pattern, basically. Uh, absolutely. And indigenous peoples who, you know, are human rights defenders defending their homes and their lands are very much targeted and often uh, uh, in police custody or in prison uh, for defending their homes and lands. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's so serious. One of the things that drives me mad, I have to say, from a law point of view, is, I mean, the law is clear, first of all. It's, it's been declared by resolution and um, through human rights committees at the UN, in the UN system, it's very clear forced eviction is a violation, a gross violation of human rights. It's a funny language, gross violation, but that's what we use to mean it's super serious under international human rights law. It's a gross violation. And it's because of, of, of how life-threatening it is and how um, undermining it is to human well-being and dignity, right? So so that's it's taken very seriously in international human rights law. And, and the same with evictions like legal evictions like like what's happening in Europe in the states and Canada right now uh, legal evictions where that eviction ends up resulting in homelessness that's also considered a violation of human rights but what makes me so angry is all that needs to happen is to stop acting it doesn't require right to stop forced evictions it just means 
Don't evict. It doesn't require giving money, building anything, doing anything, any, no positive action, right? It just, forced eviction to stop it, just stop acting. How hard is that? That's what makes me, I mean, it's, a, it's not different from torture. How do you stop torture? Stop torturing. You just don't do it, right? <laughs> that's good. That's, I mean, you're, that's not, now I can see why you're such a successful uh, <laughs> advocate. <laughs> I'm honored to be with you. you are you can... suggesting I'm not a successful no, advocate you're, because you're, millions of people are facing eviction around the world? <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. You have the language for it and it's, it's good. And I think that's what we can do with this podcast, also help people to get the language why evictions are wrong and and why they should be stopped but i think it's this backstory we told about that you know it's i mean almost all land grabbing in in history is is it's an eviction i mean we talk about yeah. the native americans yeah. in the us we talk about Absolutely. you know the samis up here in north of sweden i mean there's so yes. people have always been evicted and pushed away f yeah. in the interest of of uh, of money and mm -hmm. and 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 the, the laws in some way has been designed to defend the people who are the new evicting. owners the, yeah, who are evicting. And, and that's, so it's also time. I don't I mean, get, I mean, there's a logical thing though, Frederick, like the logic of it. People have to live somewhere. So, so if you're going to evict, like what's the solution? Where do you think people are going to go? Where are they going to live, right? And, and you're evicting sometimes the poorest people. So it's not like they have a lot of options before them, you know? So I, I, for me, it's like a government kind of nonsensical thing. Why would you evict people when they have nowhere to go? Then they're just going to put a community again on lands that, you don't, that governments don't want them on. So it's just like this cycle. The logical extension of it is, of course, the, a very, very dark and bleak. I go to a very dark place because the logical extension of it is that may, maybe governments don't really want these people around. Mm, they don't want them to exist. Mm, an extinction. That's, yeah. Do you really think government think like that? No. <laughs> I don't think it's conscious like, oh, let's get, let's annihilate these people. Let, let's, let's engage in genocide. No. Um, but the illogical, the, illo like the lack of logic in, so if you take, for example, eviction of homeless people in California, right? Something I've been very much engaged in for a long time. Well, these are the poorest people. They are already homeless. They have nowhere to go. So you evict them from one sidewalk to another sidewalk to another sidewalk. The logical conclusion of that is that they should just be evicted into oblivion, right? And the cost of doing, and the, the cost of those evictions are yeah. also... It's also yeah. a loss of taxpayers' money. And then, of course, this, the, the poor policemen who have to do the job because it's not a very pleasant job to no, kick terrible. people out of their homes. Um, now I'm sympathizing with the police. You know, it's, it's a horrible <laughs> job to have. Uh-oh. Now but, is not the time to sympathize <laughs> with the police. Yeah, I think so. They're not, they, they, they can be nice people. I don't agree <laughs> with all cops are bastards. There are actually some good cops also. There must be. There must uh, be. We call this pushback talks. So the pushback is happening this morning in Toronto, Amazing. not far yeah. away from Ottawa, where you are sitting. There was a blockade in front of the, of the court, house, court building to yep. stop evictions. Amazing. Update us. Yeah. 
Well, I actually don't know that much about that pro that particular protest, but for sure in Toronto, a lot has been brewing around evictions and the threat of eviction. And a new law, unfortunately, was passed in Ontario during this pandemic, and that law makes it easier to evict people. So in the middle of a pandemic, when we're in an economic you know, recession or depression, it's, it's, it's crazy. And so people are taking to the streets and doing these amazing actions in front of courthouses. I can say that they, I, I saw the update because they actually, it was, they, they did the blockade this morning, but it's already yeah. been, the eviction has been blown off already. So they, they've had some, some success some at least success. for, ah, for a while. That's there was good. also, I saw some amazing images from New Orleans in, in, um, down in Louisiana, where they were actually also blocking, they were blocking uh, the landlords to enter the court building, so they couldn't actually present the papers to evict people. So they, they they kept them away. But when I, when I so before we entered, I was checking a lot of stories on evictions, and I mean you can see it from so many American cities right now. People are out on the streets fighting evictions. Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, you know, we went to some dark places as we're talking about eviction and it's a really, it is a dark, it is a really horrible and dark thing. But where I do get inspiration for sure is the pushback that I'm seeing now. There have always been protests against evictions and communities have been amazing. Women in particular have been amazing in the global south. Literally, I've seen them standing in front of bulldozers to save their families, their homes, you know, literally putting their body between them and the, the bulldozer. But if you think right now about how many millions of people around the globe are faced with eviction and are starting to push back, I mean, the makings of a huge global movement and the people are not wrong. They're never wrong. So, you know, there are rent strikes going on around the world from, you know, South Africa to the United States to Canada. Um, in Brazil, new coalitions of, of social groups have come together to campaign to end evictions. Um, of course, in Spain, they have already a vibrant movement. Uh, in Berlin, they're continuing on the streets against uh, eviction for financialization reasons. So, I mean, I think, I think to myself, oh my gosh, I mean, maybe it is tenants facing evictions who will make the big shift for all of us where yeah. housing is finally understood as a human right. I think, I mean, the success of your work is actually that more and more groups around the world start to use your language. Housing is a human right. And because a lot of people will say to, uh, to a guy, well, you're not paying the rent, so of course you have to go. And, uh, and there is some reason to it, because if I don't pay of the course. rent, I guess I will lose my home. Absolutely. I mean... First of all, my experience, Frederick, has been that most people actually want to pay their rent. Most people want to pay for housing. They want to pay for water. They want to pay for sanitation. Most That's my experience. I've never met someone who says, I, I want my house for free. But what people are saying to me is they want to be able to pay a rent that is commensurate with their income. And in the middle of a pandemic, when you have zero income, or when your income is half of what it is, your rent needs to be in line with that. I mean, obviously, you can't squeeze water from a stone. You can't squeeze money out of people who don't have money. You can try, but it's not often very successful. No, not easy. No, I mean, I mean, this, 
I think it's interesting also because I see also in my own town, Malmo, Sweden, uh, hmm. the, the cost for the city to, to keep people housed is, is growing all the time. And there is a relation to this, the renovation that we've seen everywhere, meaning yes. that, that new financialized uh, landlords are coming in, buying homes where there is a reasonable rent, and then they fix them in a sloppy way, but in a way so they can put the rents up. They, f they find ways to round the, the protection system that, that exists in several countries. So it means that in the middle of the crisis, people are also sitting with higher rents. The rents have gone up 50, exactly. 60, 70%. And you know, we're talking about American cities. We can talk about hundreds of percents. I mean, in Spain, you know, in only a few years, the, the rent was doubled in the city of Barcelona and in Madrid, for example. So, and, and, and then people have, at its best, the same salary, but a lot of people have also lost out. Meanwhile, uh, Zuckerman, Jeff Bezos, and the others, are, they're, they're, they're doing better business than ever. So it's like the, these financial guys, they, for them, this is like the best time in history. You know, it's Absolutely. like they're Absolutely. so happy when the rest of us are under stress. But this point, Frederick, that you raise about rent evictions and that kind of um, uh, practice in the area of housing is super important because I, I think one of the reasons human rights is starting to resonate with a lot of tenant movements is because... For example, we can define what is affordable under international human rights law. We have defined it under the law. And affordability is not measured based on what the market can bear. It's based on what a household can bear. And so that, of course, is really meaningful for a household struggling to make ends meet. Often the people, you know, if it's a, a couple, they're working six jobs, three, three jobs each, you know, and they're wondering, what the, why can I not pay the rent? This is crazy. And it's because their rent has been set in a market-driven way and not a human rights-driven way. So I do think human rights gives people um, some, um, some uh, strength in their, in their struggles. But where we haven't gone yet, and this is what I'm thinking, maybe this eviction situation, maybe that'll get, we will get where I think we need to go, which is for governments to feel accountable to know that they are accountable. They helped create this situation where rents are unaffordable, development is going full force, and people are losing their homes, and governments can stop it from happening. But I we're not I mean, there uh, yet. <laughs> when, they, when, we solved the, when they solved the financial crisis after 2008, it was basically uh, giving away the housing sector to, to the private equity firms. And, and, and they actually wanted that to happen. And now we are paying the price. The poor people are paying the price, but also we, the struggling documentary filmmakers <laughs> and our kids. And advocates, and, yeah. And advocates yeah. and so on. Yeah, price is going up yeah. for all of us. Um, we, we promised early on that we shouldn't talk forever. So we are, we're wrapping we up this one uh, quite soon. Uh, mm -hmm. We've been out, this is like what I think was episode number eight. So we've been doing some, quite a few. So if you haven't, listen to the other ones you can go back and you can you can tell your friends about them uh, you can rate them you should always subscribe and yeah. ask me if about the financial situation please yeah i have a question for you about that frederick <laughs> how are we paying for this podcast? how are we paying um 
Well, I skipped my my vacation, so I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is there is no money in this project for, for this moment. We're doing this because we want to keep to stay relevant in this era of, of history. But of course, we we need money to keep going. So we just started. Um, a Patreon account, a Patreon uh, pushback talk. So go there and you can put $5 a month or something and, and help us. And if, if you know some really rich uh, NGO and so who like who had, are sitting on too much money, they could also help out. Uh, or a developer, someone in real estate, they have a lot of money. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> but we for sure, we need our friends. We need our friends, first of all, to tell their friends that they should listen to, to pushback talks. And... So far, we've got audience in 55 countries Amazing. on five continents. So it means that this is a truly, cool. truly global pod. So please support us and help us in the ways you can. And uh, just, oh, I got this fact I just saw in a in British newspaper. 20,000 households in England are legally homeless during the pandemic. Legally homeless means that they can be moved uh, out to any little town in the whole country, I guess. How, ma how many was it? 20,000. Oh, my God. And I, I read that nearly 230,000 tenants in the UK have fallen behind in their rent payments since the start of the pandemic. Hmm. 230,000. Does that mean they're all at risk? Yes, they, it, it totally means. So it means that we have to keep doing this this pushback talks because we, we need to talk about it and i think with your truly global perspective you you have a role to play and i'm i'm happy to as a filmmaker and podcaster co-host happy to exactly. to to help you get the story out but until then uh, ciao are you are you going are you going out to somewhere yeah i'm going away going yet away. again to a yeah. lake that's It'll good. be my last lake visit this summer. Uh, that's good. I'm, I, I have the sea so close. I will bike down and, and jump into the water because it's, mm. it's lovely. So take care and, and talk next week again. Every Friday we're out. Ciao. Thanks, Frederick. Bye. Thanks, Leilani. Bye. Bye.